1: Well, welcome to another episode of the Andrew Giuliani Show. And, you know, I wanted to, we've been talking obviously a lot about Israel over the last few weeks, talked about the city council races uh, a few weeks back as well. But I wanted to get into an issue that has been something that I've really been thinking about the last couple of years. Maybe it's kind of taken a little bit of a back burner over the last few months, considering what's been going on uh, in local elections, considering what's been going on uh, in Israel, in Ukraine. And I think this is something that at least for parents, um, you really, really need to focus on and and kind of see how the democratic party party is framing, uh, all of the arguments with regards to this, which by the way, has a real effect, uh, on our local races. And that's really where you can, uh, have the biggest say on this as well. But I have a guest with me and, uh, it's one of my favorite guests to have on. I've had her on before and And we'll definitely have her on again. Uh, She's somebody who is a Fox News veteran, uh, somebody who was News 12 uh, in the Bronx and uh, worked in Binghamton as well. Uh, Obviously, her toughest job was being uh, my press secretary for the Giuliani for governor campaign because she had to deal with a irrational principle that I was. Um, So without any further ado, Heather Powers McBride. How are you, Heather?
0: Oh, Andrew, so good to be back and thank you so much for having me on. Yes, you know what? It was the toughest job I ever had, but wasn't it the military slogan? It was the toughest job I'd ever love as well.
1: <laughs> you know, that's that's very appropriate considering we just had Veterans Day right there. I um you know, I I uh I just the only thing I guess I would say is um you know, I hope that uh, I wasn't as irrational to the staff as I am to my own wife, at least from her perspective there. So that's it. <laughs> Don't even comment on that. There's nothing to even say about that. That's going to help you. Yeah, out.
0: as your as your former press secretary, I will definitely say no comment to
1: that. <laughs> well, hey, look, let's get into, I think, something that is very important to you and me and, and all of our listeners here. You know, we talked a whole lot, not just on the Giuliani campaign, but just privately. We talk a whole lot about what's going on in our school system, uh, in our school libraries. And you made a really good point to me a few weeks back, and this kind of started this conversation in terms of wanting to bring this to our listening audience, is that really Democrats, the DNC talking points, uh, really took hold in school board races this year. It's something that you noticed. Tell me a little bit more about that from your perspective.
0: Yeah, well, it's fascinating. When you think about school board races, first of all, they're nonpartisan. You don't run with a party. You run as an individual member of your community, oftentimes a parent with children in the school district as a candidate. And it is supposed to be a nonpartisan election. However. What we've seen in New Jersey is that the talking points in one town disparaging a candidate who has more conservative values or perceived conservative values are the same talking points you'll see in another town and another town. Terms like extreme MAGA, uh, book banning, pro-censorship. You know where I'm going Mm -hmm. with this. And so, for example, in our town, we have candidates whose children have aged out of the school system, still there, continuing to run for re-election. And when an up-and-comer comes who has a lot of younger kids in the school district, if they do or are perceived to have more conservative values or use terms like accountability in their slogan, which, again, is a nonpartisan term, they will be disparaged kind of in a whisper campaign or a social media campaign as extreme MAGA and pro-censorship And obviously, the extreme MAGA is just a term that gets thrown out anywhere. Mm -hmm. And actually, I don't think it's all that disparaging, but that's another topic. (laughs) But pro-censorship and pro-book banning, I find infuriating because all of these books are available on Amazon. If you would like your middle schooler to read a graphic novel, kind of a how-to on fellatio, that's available to you. But why it needs to be in a school, I don't understand.
1: You know, you hit on so many things that I want to uh, uh, cover here. But I, I, there's one thing that you said that uh, I guess maybe didn't shock me because there are a bunch of different things that you said that surprised me. But more than anything, accountability now is looked at as a partisan word. Is that, I mean, are you telling me that people in school board races that were demanding accountability – were being painted as extreme MAGA and far-right?
0: Exactly, because accountability means you are listening to the voters and the parents who elected you, and if you're listening to them and their opinions and their opinions aren't far-left, well, then you are caving to extreme MAGA. So the accountability factor is actually trying to take the communities out of the loop. Mm-hmm. It's better for a school district to hire a blue-haired libra- librarian mm-hmm. who will decide what is in that library. And if they take it too far, too bad. Because if you're going to listen to parents who don't like that, then you are caving to the extreme right.
1: That is amazing, that accountability now. And I guess, look, I shouldn't be surprised, right? It's We've seen this, uh, if you want to talk about charter schools, we've seen this talking about Tax credits for uh, uh, other non-public schooling, whether it be parochial schools or homeschooling, uh, and, and that really has been promoting accountability. But the fact that they've actually been able to politicize that uh, word is amazing, and I think should really be uh, should be really be a wake-up call to parents to let you know exactly where. Maybe the I don't want to say the other side, but yeah, where where maybe some of the more radical people in this debate are. If they're fighting against accountability, what is that telling you as a parent, uh, whose main job is to make sure uh that you're raising a child who, by the way, is accountable for their own actions in their personal life as well. That's one of the things that you teach your child as they're growing up.
0: Absolutely. And so the notion of accountability, meaning a give and take, meaning say in what's going on in your community, for that to be considered extremist. It's actually not surprising when you see what's going on in the rest of the country and how things are going. It's, it's actually pretty consistent, but it's disappointing. And I would say my biggest concern as a, a voter and as a parent and as an American is that uh, the left's use of language is going to influence what would otherwise be a fair-minded, uh, moderate mm-hmm. voter and person. And uh, we're always, always afraid of being considered intolerant. But I think, hopefully, uh, people are waking up and seeing that when buzzwords like inclusion, which means the inclusion of some pretty extreme literature mm-hmm. in your child's school, uh, all of that all of those notions, that's what's being thrown in there. And we can't be fooled anymore into thinking that we're just being tolerant by letting it happen.
1: Yeah. You know, Book burning is something that I've heard many times. As a matter of fact, I got in a discussion a couple of weeks ago with somebody who was talking about the state of Florida and say they burn books down there. Um, And we got in a whole back and forth. And I think it was pretty appropriate considering what we think of book burning. When you you go back to the Holocaust, think of that and actual real book burning and what that is. I got a question for you. This is going to kind of set this up. Do you have a movie theater in your town or in an adjoining town, Heather? Yes, I do. Okay. Both. So Both. that's, there you go. At that movie theater, do they have uh, PG movies and PG-13 movies and rated R movies? They do. Oh, and so what? Uh, what is the use of putting the PG, PG-13 rated R on the, let's say, billboard? I don't know if they have billboards. Maybe I'm dating myself over here. But let's say on the advertisement for that movie. What's the use of putting a rating system on there?
0: Well, it is so funny that you mention that <laughs> because if, if I remember correctly, rated G is for general audience. Right. PG parental guidance suggested. PG thirteen parental guidance, but recommended for ages thirteen and up, and R restricted. That's right. And by the so, way, and then of course NC seventeen, yes. which was the newfangled rated X. Mm-hmm. Uh, All of that, absolutely, talking about age-appropriate notions.
1: And it just seems to me that what's going on, and you said something that I had written down in my notes completely separate of our conversations on this. You can order all of these books if you want on Amazon. It's not like they are restricting this completely out of the marketplace. It's just that parents are looking and saying, you know what, at a lower school or at a middle school library, It is not appropriate for kids to be exposed to these books at this age in school. If parents want to do that, you can question whether or not they are making the right judgment for their child, but they're not going and saying they need to be removed from Amazon or from the marketplace. This really is just a guidance system for parents, which, by the way, is being pushed on by parents. Parents are the ones that are looking and saying, hey, this isn't appropriate to be able to exposed to my child at this time.
0: And let me take it a step further. You can make the argument, hey, it's in the library. Tell your kid not to read it if you don't want them reading it, which I don't agree with. However, even if you want to accept that argument, this is ending up in the classrooms. There are children, ninth grade kids, for example, reading books that contain sex scenes and then asked, to be going into small group discussions about the book. Is it appropriate for your ninth grade daughter to be sitting in a small circle with boys talking about a book and possibly listening to the boy's reflection on a sex scene or having to share with a boy, her take on something like that. It is sexualizing children.
1: Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. And it's, it's beyond shocking when you think about this. I, um, I, You know, when I look at this, too, I've seen how they've tried to talk about the fact that, well, you know, they're trying to make this a social justice issue and that basically the right is coming in and saying, look, we don't want to. This is politically motivated um, or this is a social justice issue because they are on the opposite side of this, that they want to do this. I look at it more of kind of what you say, which is, no, this is pornography and sexuality at a time when you shouldn't be introducing this in the school classrooms and like you said having girls having to sit in small group chats with boys about stuff that is completely inappropriate.
0: Yes. And if this helps the audience a little bit to understand uh in some of the research you and I both did, uh, an organization called Pen America, mm-hmm. which is a writer's advocacy group. So certainly not in alignment with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. They did a breakdown of what these books are that are being so-called banned. And first of all, they defined book banning as any action taken based on content as a result of parents or community challenges. So they had to redefine what a ban is mm-hmm. because this sounds like curating, <laughs> not banning. Exactly. However, forty one percent of the books that are being suggested not to be included in a library have L G B T Q I A plus plus. Did I did I cover it all?
1: You, you might you might have missed one. I don't know.
0: I might have missed one. Oh yeah one. if we were in Canada I think it starts with two S. <laughs> so, to our friends, I didn't know that York, actually. I is, apologize. That, is that I think true? That's the Tooth spirit, yeah. Oh, I didn't, I
1: didn't you know gotta that. Stay
0: up on this. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, 41% are, are you know, LGBTQ themed books. Mm-hmm. The next 40% they say have a diverse protagonist. Now, I think this one is to really make it sound like there's a bunch of racists out there who are banning books with diverse protagonists. I'd like to know what the overlap is between the LGBTQ books and the diverse protagonist books, because I would be really surprised if if people are objecting to a book with a protagonist of a non-white ethnicity. But that's just a hunch of mine.
1: Right, and, um, and by the way, they yeah. they even say that it's not even just the protagonist; it could be the secondary character in there as well. Could be uh, of minority, uh, basically. So y- you could say that uh, I don't know the you know this is probably not a great example, but uh, because this book is not being one that's that's looked at and saying you know what this is not age appropriate, but it would be age appropriate to a certain age, right? You wouldn't have you know probably three year olds reading this, but you could think of uh, like the Lone Ranger and Tonto, right? Tonto would be considered a uh, minority. Now, you, you can say, well, there's a whole nother, you know, we're we're kind of going into a whole nother uh, world and, and digging up a whole more stuff there, but there's an example of somebody that would actually be considered in that group of, you know, the protagonist or the secondary character in that book.
0: Absolutely, and so it's very hard to say what exactly we're looking at with these numbers, as you know, statistics can steer you in any number of directions, but I do think, I know you and I, you know, we grew up in the city. I know there was a lot of diversity in the books that we were reading when I was growing up and I'm sure it was the same for you. So I don't, I don't feel like people are demanding, um, you know, strictly white American, Uh, Mm protagonists in their literature. I think people are generally fine with new different types of books. And the educational model now is to let kids choose the books they're reading. They have some assigned books in class, but there's a lot of independent reading going on, so there should be more books. But I just, I'm not going to buy into the idea that there's this large movement to exclude different characters.
1: Yeah, you're right. And by the way, to dig deeper into that same study you were talking about, that pen Study when they actually looked through and said the books that were banned in uh, banned as uh, I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology here the books the books that were uh, actually rated let's say in more than fifteen districts around the country include gender queer all boys aren't blue out of darkness the bluest eye uh, the hate you give and lawn boy and by the way the, the two that I know best there that I've at least uh, had had to look through at some point were genderqueer and Lawn Boy and I know specifically in Lawn Boy they depict um, anal sex in that book and oral sex in that book uh, multiple times so uh, to me w- when I see that books like this are the ones that parents are saying you know what this is not appropriate this is in my school library I completely agree I don't care by the way If that sex act is a heterosexual sex act, is a homosexual sex act, doesn't matter. It shouldn't be introduced to my child at such a young age, period.
0: I think that's an excellent point as well. And I think that's a point that really gets lost, Andrew, that if we were just talking about all this wild and crazy heterosexual sex, heterosexual (laughs) sex going on, we wouldn't be okay with that either.
1: You're, You're absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. It has everything to do with the fact that this stuff is just not age-appropriate at this time. And uh, I think it's such a great point that you mentioned the fact that they tried to bring race into this, that this leftist group tried to bring race into this because they're trying to do, I think, really anything they can uh, to try to get people riled up on this. I think... Just having, and again, I haven't seen the numbers well enough from any national polling on this. I don't know if they've actually done any real national polling on this. But I have to believe that the majority of Americans also, and maybe, maybe they're not willing to go out there and say it, but also don't want their children exposed to this. Have you seen any national polling on this? Because I haven't seen any yet.
0: No, I haven't seen any polling on it. No. Uh but I, I I would agree with you that even when when you talk to someone who considers themselves left of center, they they still on a daily basis are keeping their kids exposed to age appropriate concepts. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think there's a big move, to, you know, for people to want their kids to know about a lot of these concepts at a younger age. Yeah. I just don't see it.
1: You know, the thing that I find also ironic on this is that the same lawmakers that are yelling on the hills from this and saying this is book banning, this is censorship, book burning, this is terrible. They're the same people that were championing, censoring like alternate ideas on covid treatments and the vaccine. Uh, By the way, many of which were correct and deserve to be in the public discourse. And they were the ones that were pushing for the censorship of those ideas. What do you think about that? Uh,
0: this, don't get me started, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I find now over time, and you'll barely see it, but ivermectin will quietly be put on the list of approved medications for COVID. And all of a sudden, it's not horse-paced that you have to go to the tractor supply store to buy <laughs> and and take, you know, because because you're that crazy. All of a sudden, ivermectin, which I believe was a Nobel Prize-winning drug for human beings, uh, all of a sudden, yes, it's it's considered a, you know an incredible antiviral, uh, and we we have memories and we remember it really wasn't that long ago where we were shouting from the rooftops that you know there was there was a better way with COVID, uh, and that was considered really the most dangerous of speech. And, you know, hateful and uh, backwards and um, ignorant. I could go on.
1: Yeah. No, it it really, really is. And it's just, it's so obvious to me just how political they are trying to make this uh, when this should 100% be about our children, about our kids. What kind of a role, because you mentioned accountability here early on in this, what kind of a role does the teachers union, in your estimation, play uh in this and why would why do you think they would be pushing so hard uh for such a i don't know such radical books to be introduced to such young kids
0: all right so i am uh in new jersey where the uh, njea that's our teachers union is powerful very very close with randy weingarten and the national teachers union so uh, I, we definitely see a lot of activism where I'm living, uh, but I understand that one issue is that these unions are so powerful is because teachers are just starting to realize that they can opt out and join an alternate union. They don't have to be a part of this organization that's not representing a lot of them. Right. So I think there are plenty of teachers who are reasonable and don't feel strongly about this. Uh there's plenty who are very happy with the direction things are going. And I think they see that there is a, a small percentage of kids who do have either sexual, uh, you know, sexual identity or gender identity, you know, diversity, as they would call it. And they want to make sure that there's a place for those kids. But one thing, and I, I shout this one from the rooftops, it's it's something that people really need to understand, Um And I think we're all compassionate people here. And if your friend or relative or loved one had a child who was struggling with their gender identity, I trust that most of us would handle it in a very sensitive and caring manner, no matter how you feel Mm -hmm. about whether this is real or not. But um, a 2019 study shows that uh, autistic children are four times more likely to be gender diverse, as they call it. And so... And then another study shows that um, these kids are more likely to also experience a secondary diagnosis, including bipolar, OCD, depression, ADHD, and schizophrenia. And I think this is important to know because as there's a rush in a lot of states to get these kids the hormone blockers and then followed by surgeries that they think will help them realize who they really are. Uh, There are a lot of serious diagnoses that are being absolutely ignored in the process, and we're seeing a lot of buyer's remorse with this, where children have gone through these surgeries and they're still unhappy and depressed and have all their other diagnoses because, as we know, a gender reassignment surgery isn't going to make this stuff go away. So back to your question, I think that there's a very misguided idea that these kids are being harmed by not having more representation of these these books and these characters but in reality i think we're bypassing what's really going on for a lot of these kids and we're not giving them the help that they need
1: you you know that statistic that you said which children that are autistic or are on the spectrum are four times more likely to uh what was it what was it exactly you said I, i want to get it right
0: yes they are four times more likely to be gender diverse. So that would be like the umbrella term of
1: non-binary or cross-gender or uh, fluid. So so what this tells me is that at least this ideology – that it seems like in many ways they're picking on the most vulnerable and those that are really struggling in other areas. And, and it's just, to, to me, it's, it's, uh, it, it, that's really cruel when you think about that. When you think about what that actually is and what they're doing to you know, children that have these challenges to overcome in their life and then presenting something, kind of a false solution to many of them, uh, it's extremely cruel.
0: It is absolutely cruel. And as you know, I have someone very close to me in my life who has an autism diagnosis. And the notion that uh, people would be furthering their agenda instead of looking at this child and seeing what he needs and how he can learn to express himself and how he can advocate for himself, it's sick. And so (laughs) you know, I I do I, I I it's very personal for me and especially as soon as I saw that statistic, it was really breathtaking for me that these children are actually becoming pawns in an agenda that isn't serving them. Because I think we'd all feel really differently if after these interventions, after these surgeries and after all these hormones that changes your body, not for the better, if these kids and these adults were happy after all of this and felt good. This would be
1: a different conversation. Uh, I, I couldn't agree anymore. And, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, man, that is, that's, that's amazing to think about from that perspective. I, I didn't know that. And, you know, oh, man. Well, look, I, I want to... Um, move on to one other thing you told me, which I thought was really, really fascinating on a completely different subject. You had a, a run-in. You, you met somebody who actually is working to go through, uh, answer, I guess, ask, answer some of the questions uh, regarding Jesus and science and trying to figure out if there is a way to scientifically prove uh, that God exists. Tell me a little bit about this. This sounded fascinating when you told me a little
0: yeah. So we're going from book banning to book recommendation, right? <laughs> take one book, take long boy so. <laughs> out of your library. And here's what we're going to put in its place.
1: I love it. You all know right. why? Because that, yeah. and this is actually something that, that Trump would say all the time. He said it to me a couple times, but I've heard him say it to so many people. And a lot of times it dealt with kind of internal staff members, but it it, had, it dealt with all kinds of geopolitical issues. That he would say, if somebody would come with a problem, he would say, "Give me a okay. Give me a, what's the solution? What do I fill that with? What's the solution there? You don't like that person? Okay, what's what happened? Why don't you like that person? What do you want me to do to fill this? So now you have said, here's a vacuum. Let's actually fill this vacuum. This is full circle, truly, in what's going to be a forty minute conversation. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and anytime you want to quote the great 47, <laughs> I'm happy.
1: I love it. I love it. Uh, All
0: right. So the book is called My Human Heart, and the author is Ron Tesserero. Okay. And he is an Australian lawyer. So uh, kind of backing into this, of, of course, I want to start with, you know, I show the heartbreak and disgust that any decent human being feels, you know, about what happened on October 7th yeah. in Israel. You and I are New Yorkers, Andrew, and we have so many Jewish friends and I really can't imagine what they might be going through right now right. and our heart has been so heavy, you know, for the past almost month now. <laughs> and so I did find the timing of this this person I meeting this person just so fascinating because I've been thinking so much about the Holy Land Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Jews and Christians, you know, our faiths did diverge, but we share the same origin story. Mm -hmm. And so I meet this man, a friend of mine brought him to the U.S. actually, because Mm -hmm. what he does is he's documenting his search for actual DNA evidence of Jesus. Okay. Okay. So he looks into things like Eucharistic miracles. Right. Are you familiar with that?
1: Uh, I am. Uh, but if there's uh, if there's a specific one, I know that he was talking about in his book the actual Eucharist turning into the the body and blood. Um, does he have a specific one that he that he highlighted to you, or uh, 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 that that, you can, that yeah. you can highlight? So the
0: the one that that he's been very interested in is um, 1996 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, you know, a consecrated host fell on the floor, uh, and you know, Catholics may or may not know this, and non-Catholics may or may not know this. But when that happens after it's been consecrated, or when it's not just a wafer, mm-hmm. when it's considered the the body of Christ, it is there's a procedure to put it into water and let it dissolve, uh, but In 1996 in Buenos Aires at a church, that didn't happen. It actually turned into a kind of tissue, human tissue with blood. So uh, the clergy there got it to a pathologist in New York. I believe it, someone affiliated with Columbia gave the doctor no information and the doctor determined that it was heart tissue, heart tissue that had been through trauma. Wow. So it's. you know and they wow. I, they were able to with the white blood cells and the red blood cells kind of figure out that the that this body had been through trauma and that it had been living up until it was brought to Colombia. So interestingly the cardinal at the time there was Jorge Mario Bergoglio okay. aka current Pope Francis. Right. And uh so you know Ron has has been actively involved in this investigation. Obviously there's a lot of, you know Catholic clergy who were involved in the investigation, but he's he's an independent person here looking into it. He had actually come up to New Jersey last week uh, to investigate a replica of uh, one replica of the Shroud of Turin, this actual replica that's in New Jersey, one town over from me, had been laid over the real shroud. So he was investigating whether there was any DNA on that. And that investigation is kind of still pending. And he brings in uh, pathologist wherever he goes. But I think his book, it's a fantastic nonfiction. I think right now when you read nonfiction, you can either be infuriated by what's going on in the world, and but you still want to read nonfiction because maybe you don't want to you know, read a supermarket harlequin romance. This is something <laughs> nice in between. Right. It's, it's really perfect right before the holidays. I, I highly recommend this book.
1: At the Coca-Cola Company, Keurig Dr. Pepper, and PepsiCo, some of our bottles can be remade in a whole new way, using 100% recycled plastic. New bottles, using no new plastic, except the caps and labels. Learn more at madetoberemade.org. It sounds amazing. So I want to dig a little deeper into this, and and maybe you know, maybe you haven't. Uh, I don't know if you've because you said you just met him last week, so you might not have yes. read the whole book. I'm in the yet. middle. You're yes. in the middle. I'm in the so, middle. So, but I yes. want to get more into this 1996, the consecrated host there that they found out was tissue. So, but is is this investigation still ongoing 27 years later, or what is the Catholic Church? What is the what has Pope Francis said on this?
0: Uh, so. It's interesting. As I've looked into it, he hasn't said anything recently, Mm -hmm. uh, but he was, you know, he was the cardinal involved. So he he gave everything the green light at the time to investigate it. Uh, uh, As I understand it, there's there are claims of Eucharistic miracles. Not all the time, but enough so that there are investigations going on all the time where you go somewhere, you hear the story, you look into it, um, you know, you interview, and 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 what's nice is in in the 21st century now you can take it to the next level where you do get a DNA answer pretty quickly, right? To see if, if something is real or fake, um, you know, they do this with apparitions, they do this with with a lot of things, but in the case of the 1996 uh heart tissue they were able to determine that it was actually not not just you know not just human tissue but from the heart which is so fascinating and it actually defies science yeah which from someone who has you know a more scientific outlook or maybe an atheist or an agnostic. It's something to think about.
1: You know, I was just reading up on uh, Father Padre Pio recently, and and uh, I, I haven't read any Eucharistic miracles from him, but uh, multiple miracles, including when uh, I think the Americans were bombing over Italy uh, during World War II, uh, that an American pilot actually saw Pio uh, above in the sky there, above their town, protecting them. So that way they ended up diverting. Um, another one where, and this is well-documented, the fact that he had the stigma, the marks of Christ, uh, at some point that he lived with in pain for most of his life. So this is sounds like an absolutely fascinating read. I might even have to ask Ron to come on at some point once I read through this here. My Human Heart by Ron. To, uh, t- uh, say the last name again?
0: Tesserero.
1: Tesserero. Uh, fascinating. Yes. Absolutely fascinating. Well, Heather, we got a couple of minutes left. How do you want to close it out? What do you want to? What do you want to uh, focus on here to close out?
0: Well, can I flip the script here and start interviewing you?
1: Oh, sure, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I normally have softball interv- interviewees, so uh, you uh, you're going to be tough. I don't know if I can handle it.
0: <laughs> well, one. I'm excited about and, and I'd love to get your take on. It's kind of a two part question. One, it seems like slowly, you know, Biden's getting turned on by the media. I'd love to I'd love to know where you think this is going. And and also kind of part two of it is as we're seeing more and more polls and recently The New York Times is even pointing out that, you know, head to head Trump runs with the election, even in battleground states, where do you think we're going?
1: I I thought it was really fascinating last week when Axelrod kind of nudged and put it into the public discussion that Biden really should think about uh, th- th- about backing out. It kind of made me think from his perspective, well, does, uh, you know, is he being hired by uh, by Newsom or by Gretchen Whitmer or by somebody who may actually be uh, wanting that role? But I-, I think he actually made a couple of, of good points in there where I-, I think finally the more time that people are realizing what this Biden administration has done to their personal accounts to uh from an international perspective the more they realize that he's a complete disaster and the further i think people get away from the trump administration the more of an appreciation people are able to look and say you know what Um, we really love we really love these policies here even if a lot of the people maybe might not love the twitter account or or whatever they look and say hey look our, our country was in far better shape Four years ago than it is right now. So where's it going? Jeez, I, I have no clue. And every time that I've made a political prediction over the last dozen years, I, I've been on the exact opposite side of it. So I still think, I still think Biden is going to be the nominee on the Democratic side. I just don't see him having any personal reason to uh to to say no, I'm I'm not going to do it. Uh, I think I, I do think the biggest challenges for the for the the Trump campaign will be some of these swing states. I think Pennsylvania and Arizona. Whatever you think about what happened on election day and before election day of 2020, um, I think Arizona and Pennsylvania are going to be two very difficult states for him to win. Just because I look at who the governors are there, they were the same people that was running the election, the secretaries of state, Shapiro in Pennsylvania and Hobbs in Arizona, they were the same two people that were running the elections. I think it's going to be very difficult in Michigan. And I think even though he is polling better, um, I think it's going to be one of these things where they're going to need to figure out a way to make sure that they get enough votes. So that way, when you have all of these mail-in ballots that are coming in and Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. And by the way, this is not just something that's unique to 2020. Uh, You could say Philadelphia and Chicago are the two cities that are most renowned on both sides of the aisle, or really on the Democratic side of the aisle, but throughout the course of history of cheating in elections. right? You go back to Chicago and you go back to to, uh, Kennedy and Nixon. Um, We've seen this in Philadelphia with a few years back. I think there was a city council member. Uh, who actually was? Uh, he was caught cheating in the race. So, uh, so to me, that's the biggest challenge that I think the Trump administration still has. It's it's making sure that they're able to get enough votes, so that way, when as many people in Philadelphia politics will say the Camden vote comes in, Camden is in New Jersey across the border, oh, sure. so they shouldn't be voting in. <laughs> that Trump can uh, can withstand whatever that barrage uh, is going to be there. So, uh, I, I think though, you know, it's maybe 70, 30 Biden runs, which means the 30% chance he doesn't run at this point is pretty significant for, for an incumbent. I guess that was kind of like a whole, uh, a bunch of, I have no clue what the heck is going to happen over the next year, which is why you got to keep on tuning in, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I would say buckle up is uh, <laughs> the best advice for all of us. And also let's, let's all just remember and repeat to everyone what what just was revealed in Bridgeport. You know, you, you you call Bridgeport, Connecticut, you call people election deniers and that makes people sound like they're absolutely insane, but fraud happens and we, we want fair elections and that's all we're asking for. And, and I think that needs to be our
1: mantra. That is exactly right. And whatever we can do in this country to make sure we can trust those elections, you know, I've heard the left For the last four years, last really eight years, talk about, you know, our democracy is at stake here. Well, I'll tell you what, if our democracy is at stake, and if you want the public to believe in that democracy, then you should make sure that voting is as secure as possible and that the most amount of people in the United States of America can trust the fact that their vote is going to count just the same as their fellow citizens. Is going to count there? That really is what you would do, and sadly, in a lot of states, in some states, we're seeing that uh, that that's not the case.
0: We are seeing that, and it's and it's really the mistrust in our system is is growing, and we want to stop that because yeah, we're we're not better off mistrusting our election systems. We you know we want to have a few things we can hold on to, onto so we can have some really honest debate and 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 allow the best man or woman to win
1: exactly exactly well heather i have really really enjoyed uh spending the last uh 45 minutes with you or so and and uh, I, you got to come back here in the next month or so we'll do this in studio um because uh i really think that you are on the pulse of so many of the important issues to uh not just our kids but uh really affecting uh, americans these days so uh heather powers mcbride thank you so much as always for uh, being my guest
0: oh thank you andrew keep it up
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we will see you next week. A whole lot to think about right there. My Human Heart by Ron Tesserario uh, sounds amazing. And you know what, man? We just, you have to watch out for the language on the left because they continue to do this. And remember, they have a media, a leftist media on their sides that help reinforce this right you see this with uh with the abortion life discussion it's no longer pro-life it's now anti-abortion you see this on a whole bunch of issues across the aisle so really uh a great segment with heather powers mcbride we'll have her back on next uh, next month and we will see you here next week on the andrew giuliani show PriorityGoldGuide.com.